passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode nine of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, a book which goes into detail on all 30 of the years of, of history of, of Japan's most famous arena when it comes to pro wrestling. But in this podcast, uh, we take a deeper dive on one year per episode with a different guest. And this year, we're looking at 1997. And my guest uh, joining me from another podcast in the, in the post-wrestling family uh, is Nate Milton. What is going on, Brother Charlton? It, it is good to uh, finally converse with you on these microphones. It, it, it's funny because, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, we are kind of all under the post-wrestling banner. But it's, it's very much like NWO Japan and NWO Hollywood, like, like titularly. <laughs> We are uh, we we are bonded, but we haven't had uh, a whole lot of interaction. So I think uh, this is going to be fun. Uh, I, I've been looking forward to this for a while, and uh, yeah, I'm ready to talk some uh, some Japanese wrestling this week. It's true. I've I've nearly completed my uh, sort of post wrestling slash lore like uh, you know podcast bingo card. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> there's a few stamps still missing that. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, you, yeah. you still gotta get that elusive Brayden Harrington spot, right, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I have to be like ten years younger than I am to to relate <laughs> to the dude. <laughs> you know, we'll figure something out. So uh, the reason why um, you know I I elected or why I I called you on Nate, and the reason why I was I was happy that you chose 1997 a list of years to talk about. Um, First of all, because of of uh, it was a record year for New Japan, uh, and New Japan ran two shows uh, in 1997. But it was a record year in, in New Japan because, as you say, uh, the NWO connection and uh, NWO and WCW. The relationship was was never stronger. And I thought, uh, who better to talk uh, yeah. WCW in the mid 90s with you? Um, but also then. I I didn't know until recently, but like you were around Japan at this time, or like a little bit after this. Yeah, uh, for those that don't know, my fi my father uh, was a Navy chaplain. He is uh, now since retired, but uh, living the life of a military family, you know, it, it's it's very transient. So uh, we moved around from place to place: uh, California, Virginia. Uh, various stops stateside but also in uh september of 97 uh we were stationed or we were sent he was stationed and we were sent i guess would be the proper terminology uh to okinawa japan and i lived in okinawa from 97 up until about january or february of 1999 um so right kind of in this 
time frame that, that you're talking about. And then, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting experience. I, I don't think I quite appreciated it as, you know, a 19, 20 year old Nate, um, than I would now, you know, in, in, in my early forties, I think, you know, back then I, I, I was more interested in things that all young men are interested in cars and, and, and girls and, uh, pro wrestling. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't take a lot of time to kind of appreciate the culture of, of, of Okinawa and the culture of Japan and, and his people. But, uh, yeah, for what, what I did get to see and what I did get to experience, uh, it, it was very cool. Was, um, what was your relationship with pro wrestling in that, in that time? Because like Okinawa, not many promotions venture down there. Um, yeah. but like, were you, what was the situation like? Were you watching like WCW on the, on the base or something or like, how yeah. did that work? Yeah, definitely still a, a dedicated and devoted WCW fan. Um, we would get nitros that were about three weeks behind, uh, on the uh, armed forces network. Um, and then I want to say we got WWE programming at the time or WWF, I guess, uh, through sky sports on our cable package. Uh, and, and so that was kind of the way I kept connected. Uh, the good thing about sky sports though, was they showed all the pay-per-views, uh, which was really all I needed to watch from the WWE, the timeframe. But, uh, I, in, in terms of what we got on the base, occasionally we'd get, you know, a local show. Uh, but for the most part, in terms of pro wrestling or combat sports, we got more MMA and more, you know, the pancreas uh, mm. type of stuff in that area. Uh, that was a bigger deal to me, I think, at the time, or at least a bigger deal locally than pro wrestling was, uh, even though, you know, a lot of military dudes, especially the Marines and, and the, the Army guys, were obviously still into wrestling. This being, you know, kind of the height of popularity of, of pro wrestling in the U.S. You know, you'd still see NWO shirts around the base or or Stone Cold Steve Austin shirts. So I was connected, not nearly as much as I was when I was stateside, but I, I was I was still plugged in enough to know what was going on back home. Yeah, um, I mean, you mentioned MMA, and you, you would have come sort of September 97. That was right before Pride 1. Um, yes. October 97, and Gracie Takada, which is, like, still to this day, there's uh, a book came out recently about Pride, and it was called The Day That Pro Wrestling Died, uh, that was, like, focused on that match, you know, that the kind of said this was the yep. moment, you know, uh, that, that changed everything. So, like, a huge sort of shift, a cultural shift. Um, funniest, funniest story about that is, is I think I was, I wasn't fired because I didn't actually have the job technically, but I was kind of told that my services weren't needed in the nicest way possible. Uh, because at the time there was a promoter on base that was looking to do some, uh, uh, promote some events with, uh, Boz Rutan. Mm. And uh, it was like a co-venture between this guy on post and a Japanese company out in town. And uh, they needed somebody to do the voiceovers. And he knew I was a broadcaster. And he's like, yeah, you know, you'd be perfect. You know, come come with me. We got to go to this meeting. And, you know, we'll talk to these folks. We'll get everything squared away. Uh, it'd be a good way to kind of get your foot in the door over here. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do this. So we go over there. And I'm taken into this, like, fancy office and you know 
they they they're very courteous. They got that nice tea with the honey and lemon. I'm feeling like a celebrity here. You know, they're they're catering to me. Uh, I get the script. Uh, they take us down the hall where they got a really nice recording studio, uh, and they're just like, you know, okay, go ahead and 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 read what you know, read it how you would read it, and. Coming from a pro wrestling background, uh, or at least in terms of my fandom, I went completely, you know, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday with, with the promo. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Baz Rutan coming to Camp Foster August 13th. Or what, I don't even remember the script at this point. And I, I looked out as I'm finishing up this uh, script read, and I'm getting, you know, decent looks. Uh, the, 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 at least the audience seems to be amused, you know, the, the yeah. group that's there in the studio. Uh then the guy that I, I, I'm with from the post comes in. He's like, I'm like, how was that? You know, the, do they have any notes? Uh, you know, any suggestions? And he's like, they like the energy, but can you turn it down just a little bit? <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I can turn it down a little bit. But when people tell you you don't turn it down a little bit, they don't give you a, they don't give you a floor. You right, know, they, right. they, <laughs> so I don't know how far to turn down. Yeah. And so basically, I just kind of read it straight, just loud. You know, like, August 26th, we've got Boz Rutan. And then so I'm just really loud, but boring. <laughs> uh, and so we go about, I, I do about three takes, three different takes. And so then, you know, we go out and, you know, the, the whoever the head of the office was shakes my hand. He says something in Japanese, which I'm only picking up like every fifth word. Yeah. Uh, uh, me and my partner, they, you know, we're kind of led out to the front door, you know, and so we get out in the car and I'm like, okay, so what did they say? And he, he says, they liked your, they liked you, but they didn't like your read. <laughs> so uh, we won't be getting the job. So I like that was the nicest way I've ever been told. Yes, we 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 don't want your services. <laughs> we like you. <laughs> we like you. We just don't like what, what you, you do. do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tremendous. <laughs> Terrific. Wow. So I think that might be the first time I've ever told that story on a podcast. Oh wow, an exclusive. That's true. Exclusive. <laughs> Um, 1997 in, in popular culture, Nate, I don't know how much you were surrounded, uh, at this point, how much you immersed yourself. Um, but, uh, December, 1997 was, uh, infamous for carrying an episode of the animated version of Pokemon, uh, which famously triggered epileptic seizures in a certain mm. section of the population. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. I, 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 rem I was never really big into Pokemon, but I do remember – I remember that, but maybe more in my wheelhouse. I remember the Simpsons referencing that. So. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, video games-wise, we we had uh, Mario Kart 64, hell of a year, Final mm. Fantasy 7, um, oh. and uh, most more significantly for, for us, I guess, Virtual Pro Wrestling 
chart-topping smash of 1997 in Japan, uh, Amaro Namie and Can You Celebrate? I have no idea who that is or what that song is. So I, 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 much like they told me at that office, I, I like you, but I, I don't like what you do. <laughs> sure, sure. It sounds upbeat, polite at least. Like, can you, can you celebrate? <laughs> I was listening to a lot of uh, the uh, now that's what I call musics. Right, right. Uh, back then, because I think a that was the kind of the peak of that kind of compilation CD, yeah. but also that was like I got all the hits from the year in America on one disc. And, and that was kind of like uh, my look back at music stateside for the year. Yeah, that's true. It, it must be so strange to have been in a pre-internet, you know, being an expat in a pretty much basically pre-internet world. Yep. Um, must be very bizarre. Like even like I came to Japan in 2005. So like even then for me, you know, it was a bit sort of, before social media and and you know having to buy uh, ridiculously expensive telephone court cards to to phone home because uh, this was like pre Skype or whatever. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we go on base, I think, like once or twice during the week, and uh, it, it's funny now because I, I you know I talk to my nieces and they've got basically what the setup I had at my dad's office. Back in 1997, 1998, they've got on their phone in their hand. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and, yeah. and it's like, you know, I had like maybe an hour or two uh, yeah. during the week to check email and hop on Netscape or, or Alta Vista and, right. uh, you know, connect with, with, with classmates and friends back home and go on, uh, you know, WCW.com to get all the hot <laughs> WCW uh, news and notes. And that was about it. Yep, yep, there you go. Yep. Well, uh, let's hop into our shows. Um, and we'll start with January 4th, 1997, Wrestling World uh, in the Tokyo Dome. And uh, usually on this podcast, every episode on this podcast, uh, we, we pick, me and the guest each pick a match or a particular personality of interest. And uh, Nate, to keep up our streak of Jushin Liger appearances on this podcast. Um, <laughs> you chose a Jushin Liger match, and uh, this this was a pretty good one with, with Liger and Ultimo Dragon. Yeah, and it's very much tied into, you know, the WCW of it all. Mm. You know, Liger, of course, being on that very first Nitro, and Ultimo Dragon, who would obviously have a big presence in the company. And I was wondering, uh, Chris, because you mentioned that this was kind of a banner year for uh new japan yep. and i was wondering like in, in in terms of where we are with this card and, and with this match in particular like what's kind of the state of things what's the like the the state of the company and, and the state of these two guys kind of coming into the match well so new japan in general was on a big uptick and then nwo happened and like nwo yeah. just like with wcw was was a massive merch seller so it was for for new japan so you had like this this big uh surge in, in merchandise and at the same time some kind of excitement about the changing of, of the guard a little bit because you knew ricky joshu was about to retire antonio Inoki was about to retire so like there was that kind of um 
I don't know, change in the, in the zeitgeist, so to speak, in, in New Japan. And, and that was uh, intriguing as well. And so that shot them to 40 billion yen uh, in sales in, in 1997, which was their record until this year, uh, until 2018, oh, wow. where they've, they finally uh, outstripped that. Um, and uh, yeah, for, for Liger and Dragon specifically, um, it was a very sort of a big sort of banning year for the, for the juniors in, in 1996, because you had the, the J crown um, be formed in the summer of 1996, where there was just all of these largely obsolete junior heavyweight titles that, that uh, mm. dragon had amassed. And, and then they put the IWGP title on top of that and uh, sort of made this, um, this eight title, this eight belt championship. Um <laughs> That was around for about a year, and then it basically died when WWF were like, "Oh, we have a light heavyweight championship. We'll we'll use that." You know, so right. they, they took it back, and then like after that, there was one less belt, and then it, you know it, it kind of it kind of fizzled out. Um, <laughs> but it's like it's not as impressive when it's only seven. When belts. it's only seven, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. But uh, Liger as well had a very rough '96. Um, in a lot of in a lot of ways, um, he'd recovered from an ankle injury that took him through most of 1995, um, and then he sort of won the Super J Cup, had this big triumphant return, you know, won in '96, won the won the belt, and then uh, discovered that he had a brain tumor, which oh, wow. uh, basically put him out from August '95, August '96 rather, until right about this match. Um, and so because like Liger knew he had this, this issue, um, he had a match with Ultimo Dragon in like a similar, they had a single elimination, uh, tournament to determine the first J crown champion. And because Liger had this issue, they just did this really, really fast deal with Ultimo Dragon, uh, where Ultimo Dragon like pinned him with a La Magistral, like in two minutes. Um, mm. and that got Liger out. He went to have a uh, sort of surgery on, on his brain tumor and then came back. And what's interesting is how that, you know, flash pin win played into this match because like instantly right at the start, like dragon goes for a magistral and like the crowd yes. all, like, are yeah. really into it. And they're like, Whoa, you know, and that becomes <laughs> kind of a, a story through the match of like Liger trying to pin dragon with a, the magistral as well. Like, uh, you know, it's a really cool, um, aspect to this match i think ah see that now that it makes a lot more sense you know because just watching it kind of without the context and and the backstory it's like they they seem to be really excited for <laughs> for these for these roll-ups right here <laughs> uh, but you know now kind of knowing the backstory and this is you know liger's kind of triumphant return to get back what what is his it it all kind of gives it more depth and, and more meaning. So yeah, that, that adds another layer to the match that I didn't, like I thought it was a really good match, but I didn't have that extra layer of meaning to it that, that uh, you know, the, the backstory and the history add to it. Yeah, yeah. And so like once this with this fucking terrifying brain buster, right? It was almost like a screwdriver kind of thing. Really quite, quite frightening. Um, wins the belt. Now, like Ligo was wearing a gold outfit uh for for this match uh um, which was pretty sweet it was pretty sweet one that won the belt but like a little added extra uh layer to that to that costume nate is because jushin liger was wearing gold do you know who was wearing silver on this show Ooh, 
That's a really good question. <laughs> I'll, I'll give I'll give you a hint. We've been seeing a, a fair bit of him in New Japan recently. Ah, oh. and there's a WCW tie there as well. Ooh. Oh, 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 oh. Are we talking about Jericho? Yep. <laughs> so this was the <laughs> infamous. Hey, in, 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 fair, in uh, full disclosure, it's, it's like nine over here in the state. So I'm, it's my right, brain right. is just kind of kind of booting up. It's like, I'll, hold I'll on, go. please. We're loading. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut about five seconds of the dramatic pause out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was the infamous Super Liger oh. Kanemoto match as well. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, very cool. Like, not not well, a very cool night, <laughs> Chris Jericho. Well, yeah, very very cool in the sense that it all ties together. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, and I think that was the that was obviously the thing. You know, it was like you know, here's here's this imposter liger in silver and the, the real liger in gold. Yeah, you know, they were going to do something and they were going to be off to the races. Was the idea, but uh, yeah, this was again, um, you know. Quite apropos, it seemed New Japan at the time were like to Chris Jericho, well, we like you, <laughs> but we don't like what you're doing in that outfit. <laughs> that's the that's the uh, subtitle for this week's episode. <laughs> yes. We like you, we just don't like what you do. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so, yeah, what I chose uh, from this show was... Oh, real, real quick, kind of yeah, go, go going back to this, uh, Chris, because, yeah, I really enjoyed it and... Like I think part of the reason I, I chose this match was just based off of wanting to watch Liger and Ultimo Dragon. Uh, mm. <laughs> you know, the, the it's it's like uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup almost. You know, two great tastes that I hope would go great together. Because uh, I, I I think Ultimo gets maybe a bit of a short shrift. Maybe he's a little bit underrated uh, yeah. by fans in North America. Maybe because his WWE run was kind of underwhelming. Uh, so I, it's it's always good to me to kind of go back and, and see this dude in his prime because I've I, I, I've always been a fan of Ultimo and, and obviously a fan of Liger and I really thought this was a a very good match and yeah it, it it's certainly something that they, if you haven't watched this match go ahead and uh, seek it out because you know it's even without the backstory I thought it was a good match but now with the added context it's it's that much better. Yeah, was is, is there any truth to it? like? Did you hear the same story that that? Stephanie McMahon had the mad hearts for Ultimo Dragon. I mean, him, like, who, wanting to, who could blame her? <laughs> wanting to have him like unmasked because she's like, you're, you're so handsome without your mask on. Yes, um, because unmasking wrestlers always work so well. See Rey Mysterio. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah. I was just watching it. This is going to date this this episode, um, you know, because like it's not going to go up on post for another couple of months, I think. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just recording this after watching um, Hiromu Takashi and El Desperado um, mm. have their junior heavyweight title match. And uh, there was a great moment in that where Hiromu rips Desperado's mask off and like... Desperado just like fights Hiromu off and then just casually puts it back on again, you know. And like there was there was you know a meaning there of like Desperado like the very essence of who he is. Like it's not as important as as being Hiromu Takahashi up, but um, yeah, I, I think like it it would have meant a good deal less in uh, <laughs> in in WWE um, yeah. or WCW for that much. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I, I chose uh, another match with uh, definitely a WCW tie here, which was uh, Masahiro Chono and Hiroyoshi Tenzan against uh, Fujinami and Kimura for the, the IWGP Tag Championships. Um, how familiar were you with Chono in WCW, Nate? And like when he uh, sort of joined the, the NWO officially? I feel like... I was aware of Chono, but I I didn't really know Chono until he had debuted on WCW television. Like I feel like I recognize the look of Chono. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it may, and maybe it's through playing video games. Yeah, like, I feel like like I I've seen this guy before um, without actually having watched a lot of his matches. Uh, but then when he came to WCW, I. I thought, like, yeah, this dude looks like, and it's not a disrespect to any of the other Japanese stars that have come over, but this is a guy that looks like he fits right in with, you know, American wrestling and then what's what's currently hot right now in North America because he he had a character, you know, he he felt like somebody that that fit with uh, WCW at the time. Yeah, and it's interesting because like he was brought over a lot you know, when he was NWA champion in sort of 92, 93 uh, WCW mm, mm. and really didn't connect, you know, it, it, no. you know, and then it was this, this sort of epiphany with, with him and then, you know, going down the, the lone wolf route and being with, with Mas Saito that, that really saw him uh, change and saw him transform. He is very, very much like I always think, sort of explaining the, the phenomenon of, of Tetsuya Naito or, uh, you know, or conversely explaining Masahiro Chono to, to modern fans. It's like they're, they're pretty much the same person, just in different eras, you know, <laughs> like mm. uh, people who were for the longest time, like good wrestlers, but there's nothing to really sink your teeth into the, on them yep. um, and didn't really connect. And then suddenly it's like, you know, wow, they're, they're off to the races, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, Chono and and Tenzan here. Tenzan, another guy, another WCW guy, right? Yeah, he, he was sort of around there a lot. We we talked about Tenzan wrestling Randy Savage on our on our last episode. And Tenzan, to me, like there were, there's a couple of uh, Japanese guys that, as a WCW fan, kind of clicked and connected. I think Tenzan did because of the look, again, the visual mm. uh, appeal of, of, of Tenzan. Uh, another guy was uh, was a uh, Gato, just because I remember uh, Dusty doing the uh, commentary, and he was <laughs> like, "That was his uh, illegitimate son." Oh, fantastic! So for w- whatever reason, that always stuck with me. But yeah, Tenzan certainly had kind of that visual appeal of, "Yeah, this is a guy again with with the body shape and and the, you know kind of the the appearance of him. He, he kind of fit in with WCW in a way that I think some of the other uh, Japanese performers didn't quite." Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But um, the one thing, you know, I, I made this this point in the book, where, like, when Chono became, when Chono joined NWO, it, it became this huge thing in Japan. But Chono being in the NWO stateside was kind of nothing, right? <laughs> like, I, I was curious, and I sort of went and dug up, like, you know, Chono enters the, the NWO and I, I looked at this this thing on YouTube and it's just Chono walking out for his I think he has a match with Jericho actually to tie it all neatly neatly together. But he just walks out and he's wearing an NWO shirt. <laughs> like Yeah, and I think but well by that point the NWO was our we were already starting to see it get blown. Right. Okay. And so while Chono was like 
in hindsight that it, it I think it's a bigger deal in hindsight uh, because we're seeing these two companies kind of work together and we're seeing, you know, Chono, who is a big star, come over and, and join this group that's full of big stars. But at the time, it's like we've got a group with, you know, Stevie Ray and Scott Norton and Virgil and buff bagwell it's like it's it, hey there's there's too much right now and, and as good as you are chono you're not gonna resonate because we've already got way too many people on this train yeah right yeah yeah that makes sense like the the commentary i think bischoff is on commentary on that match and he just goes oh hey i always like that guy <laughs> you know like, yes that's kind of that's kind of it like never mind the fact that, that probably a lot of like that nwo imagery was was something Bischoff took probably took yes, almost directly yeah. from Chono, you know. And it's um, funny because like when you when you were talking to me uh, before we we hopped on the mics this week about you know kind of the, the NWO Japan and and kind of tying it into WCW, it's almost like the uh, what is the uh, the Ouroboros, the the snake eating its own tail. Yeah, right. There like you go. Bischoff got the idea from Japan yeah. and then he brings it to America and then. We get NWO Japan, which is an offshoot of this idea that Bischoff stole from or, or borrowed uh, from Japan. He was inspired by mm. Japan, let's say, put it the nice way. So it's kind of like everything kind of coming full circle uh, with, with this idea, with this gimmick. But, yeah, it, I don't know. For whatever reason, I think because we already had, you know, NWO. We got NWO Hollywood. We got the Wolfpack. Right, uh, then, yep. then we get the NWO B team, you know. And, and so NWO Japan could have been a bigger thing, I think, had the the NWO and WCW not gotten so kind of out of control and, and bloated. Yep, yep, there you go. But at least, like, New Japan got Jeff Farmer out of it. I mean, if you're going to have a fake version of any WCW performer, why not go with a fake sting? You're right. There you go. Yeah. I mean, like, um, Master Saito is, like, on commentary on this match. And, like, like NWO Japan officially wasn't a thing, you know, but it was, like, Chono's kind of in the NWO stateside. And, like, Master Saito, like, almost just with a sort of backhanded, you know, mention of, of his buddy Hogan, you know, and, and going like, <laughs> you know, he's talking about, oh, Hogan's a really cool guy and like the NWO is cool. They want cool people. And uh, Hogan really <laughs> likes China because it's cool. And like, that's, that's pretty much the explanation <laughs> we get here. Um, but uh, Fujinami and Kimura and Nate, were you, were you familiar with these two at all? At this point, they hadn't tagged together for, for six years. And this was really kind of a, a sort of last but um, you know, a little bit of a nostalgia tag run that they they got at the end of, of this because Fujinami was, was winding down and uh, Kimura was definitely winding down at this point. Uh, I was familiar with Fujinami. Uh, Kimura, not so much, uh, but I would say uh, probably my, my biggest uh, exposure to Fujinami would have probably been the flare matches, I guess. Right, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, if anybody with Ric Flair at that time period is going to be a good match, but, you know, I thought him and Fujinami had good chemistry. Uh, so it was cool to, to, to see him again in a different stage of his career. But, uh, yeah, I, I was not too familiar, um, uh, with Kimura. So that, that was kind of, you're not, you're saying that this is a team with some history. It's like, okay, I, I kind of got that, but I didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah, right. And it's it's something that uh the sort of 
first part of this match kind of drags a little bit. Um, but uh, towards the end, I, th- I think the fans really, really got into it. And Kimura had like uh, landing those leg lariats, you know, he, he for a guy that was probably pushing 50 at this point or well into his 40s, um, you know, quite a good deal of, of athleticism, I thought, on Kimura's part in a way. Yeah, I, I was, uh, again, this is, I don't want to say this is my first time seeing him because I might have, you know, just through the process of going back and looking at various matches, seen him before. But this is the first time I had a dedicated look at him. And I, I was uh, I was impressed. Not not too shabby uh, for the, uh, the the older gentleman. There you go. Um, but uh, to sort of keep us on Chono, I guess, and, and NWO and uh, that that things were really sort of moving through 1997. So it was like the, the, the big sort of hot angle um, as we so at this the, point, the, the is he is at this point, Chris, would you say Chono is the top star in the company or like where would he be on the pecking order right well, now? You see, the thing is like Chono was never really like the top number one guy well i mean i suppose that's that's a little bit disingenuous i I think certainly when you get to the early 2000s when a lot of people left like he was like the the elder statesman and and the the Mm. well-respected guy that was in charge but i don't think you would ever really call chono the ace um and it didn't help that hashimoto was like having his record setting title run at this point. Um, and yeah. so he was like the, the legitimate tough guy and Muto was like the more athletic guy. And yeah. Chono, so Chono was like, I guess he became the, the character guy. So he was very much like Naito is to new Japan now mm. where he's perhaps arguably the most popular person on the card, but he's not the guy, right? And in the end, like, Chono only ever had, like, a couple of weeks with the, the IWGP title. He, he ran it for a very, very brief spell in 1998. Um, and so he's then, like, uh, he's kind of yeah. like in, in that same position John Cena was a few years back when he was doing the U.S. title challenges, where he's a top guy, but he's not the top guy. I guess you could say that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and but I mean, conversely, like Cena had that run after having all of his big runs, you know. Whereas yeah. like Chono never really had that that big run, and I think like a big part mm. of it was because he got dropped on his head uh, by Steve Austin, oddly enough, like in in night night three, and that just gave him neck issues for years and years and years. That mm. meant that when he finally won the title in in ninety eight, he only had it for for a month before he had to take time off um and uh yeah so i mean it's one of those instances that that austin pile driver that that very rarely gets talked about and there's like an ugly sort of symmetry to it because it's exactly the same move that broke austin's neck um you know like the the sort of sit out tombstone thing and uh austin does it to chono and broke his neck in in 1993 and then you know four years later like it was like history repeating almost um but uh yeah certainly he was sort of amassing this this great popularity and then you know what better to to make how how better to make good on that by sort of rekindling this this old rivalry with with muto which is uh what you kind of talked about or picked to talk about in in 1997 um your sort of recollections i think like out of chono like muto is a guy you definitely associate with wcw in in, in the west right yeah, to me, this was my my guy. If we're talking, you know, uh, Japanese stars kind of coming over, 
because this was a guy that had maybe my favorite non-Steamboat Flair rivalry in, in the history of pro wrestling. Because uh, for me, Steamboat Flair is is the be-all and end-all of, you know, this is two guys with, with not only a great storyline, but they're giving you good matches every time. The next best thing for me in terms of feud would have to be Sting and Muda because that was kind of the feud of my childhood where, you know, we've got my favorite wrestler of all time, Sting, at his athletic peak going up against a guy in Muda who had the, the look, who had the the athleticism. And so, yeah, just seeing those two in their prime, that was, was it's, to this day, still one of my favorite things. Um, then anytime Muda would come back, uh, even the terrible uh, <laughs> stint in 2000 that Brian Mann and I have talked about on Keep It 2000, uh, <laughs> even that terrible Muda with Vampiro and the demon, uh, Muda was still a star. Um, hell, even in TNA, when Muda was kind of shot at that point, mm. he still got a reaction from those TNA fans who don't react to a whole hell of a lot. Uh, so, yeah, Muda to me has always been not just one of my favorite Japanese performers of all time, but one of my favorite performers, period. Um, and I always thought that, and I've seen a couple of Muda and uh, Chono matches before, and it's it's always interesting because... Muda is is a lot more uh, grounded than I think U.S. fans will remember from like kind of those days when he had that rivalry with Sting. But I, I just love seeing like kind of the technical acumen uh, of, of the great Muda, Chris. Yeah, and you saw probably this is when those knee issues are starting to catch up with with Keiji Muto like at, at around this point. But mm. um, it became this this big brawl with with Chono and like I think Chono as well sort of uh, to sort of match up with with your point earlier on about like Chono fitting in with the American sort of aesthetic I guess like you see sort of Chono taking on a, a kind of much more of a brawling style um, yep. towards the the late nineties and that sort of factored into this match and like a lot of uh, sort of wild stuff you know flinging people into tables like you know chono trying to uh, spray paint muto and like muto like <laughs> in the end he's, he spray painted chono and then spits mist all over him um which so, is always a great spot <laughs> yeah there you go and like it's this is but this is it's like part of the the really interesting arc for for muto uh in really 90s from here until the end of nwo japan like in in 2000 because um they do this this interesting stuff and like it's very memorable whether whether it all hit i'm, I'm not entirely sure but like uh where it was great muto is kind of in the nwo but keiji muto isn't yes, yeah so like there's that dynamic between the the two personalities where like they they have this match and then uh muto pins chono and then he says afterwards great muto's in the nwo uh, but then they, they'd have like a, a bunch of matches where, you know, suddenly Keiji Muto is like tagging <laughs> against the NWO, you know, and then suddenly there's Muto and Muto all at the same time. Um, and it all gets it, it all gets very confusing. And then when Muto winds up joining the NWO, eventually when Chono takes that time off, you have Muto uh, take control of the NWO and, and gradually turn it more babyface. Uh, so mm. that when Chona comes back, there's that that push and push and pull for for power again. Like it turns into it's one of those things where I think you know 
fate and destiny and and sort of un, you know injuries being unfortunate but at the same time it, it all working out really no, wait 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 them. hold on hold on brother charlton this is all coming together i'm putting together the piece I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down so you're saying at this point kg muta is is uh, uh a great star but his knees are kind of you know betraying him a little bit there you go uh he he joins uh, a heel stable makes that stable you know baby by default Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he he's kind of the cool baby face, the cool the cool heel, should I say? Yeah. Um, and then he feuds with the guy that originally started the stable when yep. that guy returns. So, what you're telling me, Chris Charlton, yes. is at this point the great Muda is Japanese Kevin Nash. <laughs> the great Muda is Japanese Kevin Nash in this scenario you described to me, sir uh quite possibly yeah i I, their work i think may be a little bit different but (laughs) 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 yeah uh yeah i think that might be the only time that that muda and and nash's uh in ring style have been compared to to that extent well yeah possibly yeah yeah i think that i'm i'm sure they've they've shared a ring on a few occasions um <laughs> not not probably not up to the standard of, of shinya hashimoto versus oz from you know, you know, <laughs> classic that was oh <laughs> there you go but it, it's an interesting thing because we've talked a lot you know and uh you're the perfect person to talk about like nwo in in new japan and there was this very big feeling that, you know, uh, as as much as as great as it was for business, you also had a core of people saying like this is too Americanized, and it's something we get even today. You know, there's a, there's a core of people saying, "Oh, New Japan is is great, but it's a bit too Americanized." You know, it's it's not the classic, you know, Japan wrestling, Japanese wrestling yeah. I love. And um, there was definitely like this this schism in in 1997, and uh, one of the person, one of the people that really couldn't stand like this uh, this NWO Japan stuff, and and couldn't stand sort of Muto in, in particular's ascendancy was Antonio Inoki at the time, mm. um, and so that sort of created this this huge uh, this huge uh, sort of situation, which, you know, which we saw in the in the main event of, the, of this one, which was. Now you're Agawa and Shinya Hashimoto. Uh, this was uh, my choice from from this show. Um, but what do you know, Nate, of of either Hashimoto or Ogawa? Not not huge names in, in the West at all. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a couple Hashimoto matches, and and the thing that stands out the most to me is uh, those kicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> those kicks are very memorable. Um, I haven't watched a whole heck of a lot of Ogawa. Uh, but just kind of seeing these two, particularly in this match, it very much felt like when you compare and contrast it to the other matches we've seen, this was, and then maybe I'm reading too much into it, maybe you could give me a little more clarity, but this felt like uh, Inoki's response to kind of the, the MMA K1 Pancrase type of, of craze. This is, yeah, that's it. You're exactly right, Nate. And uh, another pop quiz for you. Uh, now your goal was a substitute uh, in this match. And went on to become very very famous as a result of this feud with with hashimoto um but who nate do you think he was replacing Ooh. um he was a guy that that would make waves in wwf in spring of 1997 instead which was why um agara was substituting for him oh 
Uh, would would that be? See, I was gonna say, I was gonna go off the board and say Bob Sapp just to just to be funny. No, uh, not quite. No, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit too early for that. A little bit too early for Sapp. Uh, who? Uh, yeah. Uh, side note, like I remember seeing Bob Sapp commercials, uh, like towards the end of my time over there. Oh, right. And it was a thing of beauty. Just yeah. <laughs> Bob Sapp commercials in Japan. Uh, yeah. but I'm gonna say. Could it be? It's too early for Lesnar. Uh, but you're on the right track, definitely. But too early for Lesnar, yeah. Too early for Lesnar. Too early for Goldberg. I'm gonna say. Ooh. You know what? I'm going to say. Kurt Angle. Oh, you were you were within a hair, Nate, and you didn't get it. Um, no, uh, now you go. was placing Ken Shamrock. Oh, that yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. Yep, yep. So this was uh, exactly your, you know, I mean, you, you hit the nail pretty much on the head with uh, what Inoki was was trying to do is that. Um, there was a lot of sort of fences made between uh, New Japan and Satoru Sayama, who was the original Tiger Mask. And mm-hmm. like they'd uh, sort of been on the outs, and Sayama had been on the outs with Inoki for years, and they sort of made made peace with each other and um, got into business. And like Inoki and Sayama's idea was that there was this nascent uh, sort of MMA scene. Pancrase was, was doing very, very well, but like didn't have... You know, they were doing well and they were working with UFC, but the, you know, the, it was all very sort of nebulous, the, the MMA scene at the time. So yeah. what Inoki wanted to do was make kind of an, an NWA for MMA um, mm. by sort of gathering promotions all over the world and, and kind of um, running this, this MMA scene, which would have been, that was the original plan for what became a UFO, which was like the Universal Fighting Arts Organization or something like that. Mm. Um, and that UFO was was an absolute bomb and it, it kind of turned into pro wrestling basically anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but uh, Inoki wanted uh, Shamrock, didn't get Shamrock. Um, and in the end, he sort of, his twin aces were Don Fry um, and now Yorogawa. Like, Ogawa was like a, a he'd been successful in the 92 olympics so like he had okay. some kind of a name to him and then i'm trying to think at this at this point in time would would seven seven would have been through with the uh with the uh wwf wouldn't he um i because th- they did that little nwa revival deal right yeah but that uh that would have been around like brawl for all time yeah maybe? yeah so more maybe a little bit before that so like yeah that would have been we're talking spring of 97 now okay so maybe yeah but you're definitely in that era because yeah, to me it's like if you can't get not to a disparage the beast uh but if you can't get kim shamrock like to me the next best thing if you're looking for an american would have been uh dan severin yeah yeah but i mean had he got Ken Shamrock, it would have been a major, major coup, you know, I think. Right. Because, I mean, obviously, Shamrock had already made a huge name for himself in, in Pancras. So, like, mm. there, there was definitely that aspect to it. And, of course, like, Shamrock was already a wrestler. So, like, half of his work would have been done for him. Yeah, you know? yeah. Whereas, like, they trained um, Ogawa up from, from scratch, basically, and in a couple of months. 
Um, which, considering that he does, he does okay in this match. So, was the goal here for because this this I find this kind of fascinating because wrestling in and of itself is already a simulation of a combat sport. Yeah. Um. So, was the goal here for Noki to have worked? Work shoot matches, if if you see what I'm saying, or or was it going to be more of a brawl for all type of thing where these were going to be legitimate matches between these competitors? Well, I think we're we're very strongly foreshadowing what what we'll be talking a lot about in in the future episodes. But Inoki's idea was like UFO was going to be MMA, right? right? Um, but to you know this this whole thing with agawa and hashimoto was like the start of like a big publicity thing ah. and so like agawa comes in they have this non-title match with with hashimoto um agawa wins and so now like you've instantly set up like agawa oh, i was tougher than hashimoto so like now people in theory are going to be at least intrigued in a, in a UFO card, uh, and then you either use Ogawa to bo- to prop up the UFO. Exactly, exactly. That was the plan. Uh, ah, it, as it turned out, you know there was a few delays in there, and things didn't work out the way they wanted. And then they do this this same setup with Ogawa and Hashimoto again in in 1999. And uh, when we talk in our 99 episode, we're we're definitely going to go into deep dive on on that but like the the 1999 what what japanese fans called the january 4th incident like that is kind of uh i describe it as it's kind of our version of the montreal screwjob is mm. like the what happens in in 99 um so it becomes a good deal more controversial um but here at least it's just oh here's a judo guy against a pro wrestler what's going to happen now just imagine a noki bringing the bell early like Vince McMahon. <laughs> bring the bell <laughs> yeah 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 a little bit different to that but uh certainly on the same level of controversy anyway but uh, interesting yeah yeah how do you how do you think uh Agawa does does on this one because i think like they're they're very smart in just making it just tough just just beat the shit out of each other you know um and so there's there's very little that sort of exposes agawa as like a guy that hasn't done pro wrestling before it's funny because uh you know full disclosure you you mentioned the time frame that we're recording this uh last night the the wwe had their money in the bank show Mm. and we get we got to see how they're continuing to position ronda rousey who was a legitimate fighter who was coming to the world of professional wrestling and how they kind of work matches around her to her strengths. And so getting that contrast from what we saw with with Rousey in the WWE to now what we we saw with uh, Ogawa this week, it felt like they were playing to his strengths. Uh, You know, he had, to me, he had some, some impressive moves in there, but it, it also felt like, I don't know if, I think it kind of diminished Hashimoto a little bit. Yeah. Because I've seen some other Hashimoto matches, and it felt like that instead of boosting Ogawa up to Hashimoto's level, they kind of took down, like if like if this were a video game, they took down uh, <laughs> the difficulty <laughs> level on yeah, Hashimoto yeah. a little bit so that he right. wouldn't be so far ahead of Ogawa. Uh, but yeah, it was very much that kind of that shoot style. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a bad match, Chris, but it just it did feel kind of 
I guess, rudimentary in, in some yes. spots. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think you definitely have to view it uh, through through that lens of, of somebody that hasn't had a, a match before. And like the the sentiment that, that everything you see that was good about Ogawa, that's like a testament to how good Hashimoto was, like not how good Ogawa was at all. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, that that definitely comes through. But uh, we'll be talking about Ogawa a lot more. Um, the the my favorite part of this match is the explanation of Ogawa's uh, developed finishing move, the SDO, um, which is still you know used today. People call SDO on commentary in in English and in Japanese, and I don't think that anybody, uh, certainly I don't think any English speaking wrestling announcer uh, calls an SDO knowing what it stands for um and i don't suppose you do nate <laughs> i do not get ready for the the sto stands for space tornado or goa wow yeah. <laughs> there was there was nothing about that move that said space or tornado space tornado <laughs> they, they got the ogawa part right <laughs> yeah right <laughs> right yeah wow yeah <laughs> It's just so that, that that would be his uh, claim to fame, I would guess, though, from from now until eternity. Ogawa's got that to his credit. Yeah, I don't know where they where it came from. But like, yeah, certainly his, his imprint on wrestling history. The only thing I can think of is like the Tiger Mask connection. Cause you had like the space flying tiger drop or whatever. Mm, mm. So I can imagine like Sayama saying, okay, I'll give you. But at least with Tiger Mask, he actually was up He'd in fly. Yeah, right, right. There was, there was nothing, uh, there, there was nothing airbound about, uh, about Ogawa in this match. It was very much rooted on the ground. <laughs> well, perhaps that was the thing. You don't get tornadoes in space. So it's just, you know, effectively it's a space tornado does not, does not exist. So they should just call it the Ogawa, which, uh, which makes sense because evil uses an STO and he calls it evil. So he should just call it Ogawa, Ogawa. All right. Um, wow. Yeah. So there you go. There's, there's 1997 for you. Um, and this, as I said, this, this sort of sets up a very turbulent 1998 where, uh, sort of Rick Choshu retires and Antonio Inoki retires and, and you really have like this, uh, this very big, uh, sort of shift in New Japan and, and in pro wrestling at large. Um, but, uh, yeah, but Nate, thanks, thanks for joining me on this, this little journey here. Hey, th- thank you for having me now. I, I, I think, uh, I'm. I, as well as the listener, uh, we're, we're, we're a lot better off after this conversation, Chris, because uh, not only do we understand the, the kind of state of New Japan in, in 1997, but now we, we are all that much wiser because we know what STO stands for. There you go. There you go. I'm, I'm happy I could do that for you. I'm happy I could uh, yank your, your time travel satellite back a, a, about <laughs> two or three years from what, from what you're used to. Um, but uh, yeah, speaking of that, Nate, uh, bearing in mind that this will be, uh, this is going out to our Indiegogo backers probably uh, in a few days, but um, to most listening on Post Wrestling, this, this will be, uh, when are we now, June? So that people will listen to this, I guess, in August. So uh, a non-time sensitive uh, plus, yes. do you have anything there? Well, that's the beauty of, of Keep It 2000, Chris Charlton, yeah. is that it's an evergreen show because uh, Brian <laughs> Brian Mann and I go back and we look at every edition of 
WCW Monday Nitro from the year 2000, arguably the worst period in terms of creative for any major company uh, in the history of wrestling. Uh, we get to see so many of Vince Russo's greatest creations, uh, the Viagra on a pole match, the uh, Judy Bagwell on a pole match, the Yappa Pie strap match. Uh, and then each week we have a different guest uh, to come on and, and talk about the show. Um, some of our recent episodes have included such luminaries as Lance Storm, who was a big part of WCW in the year 2000. So, uh, you can check that out on the Post Wrestling Network, Keep It 2000, with myself and Brian Mann. And also, for uh, the uh, sports fans out there, uh, you can check... See, I guess this is kind of like my Ogawa. I'm using wrestling to get over my my shoot sports <laughs> show. Right there, uh, <laughs> you can uh, check out myself and Marcus Vandenberg on the Kings of Sport, which is a uh, sports and uh, pop culture podcast. Uh, we've been around for about five years now and uh you know i don't know what we'll be talking about in the summer of 2018 but uh should be good should be fun be right around football season so we'll probably be talking a lot of football so check me out on keep it 2000 with brian Mann, uh the kings of sport with marcus vanderberg and you can find me on social media at in the number eight m-o-z-a-i-k at nate mosaic although by the time you hear this, I may have changed my Twitter handle to uh, STN because I'm going to be uh, Space, tornado. Space Tornado Nate. Nate. Space Tornado. <laughs> That's even better. That's even, even better. Fantastic. That's why yeah. you're the writer, Chris. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yes, you can uh, find out about and buy uh, eggshells at www.eggshellsbook.com or on Amazon. Uh, I am at Reason JP. Next uh, time in 1998, uh, I'm very excited uh, to be joined by one of my favorite personalities from the land of YouTube. Um, Kim Justice is going to join me uh, to talk about 1998. So I'm very excited to have her on. And um, you can look forward to that, and, and uh, I'll speak. Yeah, to you I, I like time. I like Kim. I just don't like what she does. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> just just kidding. You don't know what she does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>